I think most of us adults, we would say to any child, don't compare yourself with others. Would we tell that to a child? Don't compare yourself to others. Whether they're doing good or they're doing bad, don't compare yourself to others. Just stay in your lane. I think I've said that multiple times. Just stay in your lane. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't compare yourself to others. I think we would tell that to children. And yet, often as adults, we struggle to listen to that same advice. Is that true? Can you agree with that, some of you? Good, good. Um, this last week, I, I received an email from a friend of mine. It's the thunder of the Lord. It says, don't put your hands behind your back. This last week, I received a text from a friend of mine, a fellow pastor, and it was actually... I was in the middle of, of writing this, this message today and recording some words down, and I had just wrote those words, don't compare yourselves with others, and I get this text from a friend of mine, a fellow pastor, who said, I don't know why such and such receive, can, can, can get a thousand views on their sermon, and I can't even get a hundred. See, Mike, you laugh. <laughs> you laugh, Mike. I identified with that. And so I started to speak into that to the point where I went to this other individual, this other pastor's Facebook page, and I started wondering, how do they get a thousand views on their sermon? And this, this seed of comparison was, was planted in my life just as it was planted in his life. We talked through it and we talked about how, no, 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 I'm not comparing myself to someone else. I'm not sinning or in any way walking down that path. No, instead, I'm just curious. This is just a question. But it occurs to me that this giant that we're going to talk about today, this rumbling of this giant often begins with comparison. We take our eyes off of Jesus, His plan, and His purpose for us, a distinctly individual plan and purpose for each and every one of us. We take our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to focus on someone else, what they have, what they are doing. And soon we forget that we are created and we are called what we are created to be and who we are called to be in Jesus Christ. Amen? Can you see this happening? And this giant of rejection comes against us. He begins to challenge us, begins to call us out. It's a very slippery path that often we walk on until we're facing this giant of rejection and we're discouraged and we're depressed and we're not good enough. When we lose sight of who we are in Jesus, friends, when we lose sight of who we are in His kingdom work, we find ourselves very soon tormented by this giant of rejection in our lives. 
We've been talking about the story of David and Goliath. We've been talking these last few weeks about these giants that we face in our lives. These giants that come against us. And I believe that so often we have not just one giant in our life, we have multiple. Or we we focus on one giant over here and we see defeat come, we see victory over our giant, and before long we find another giant, his brother, come against us. And I continue to repeat what I said a few weeks back, Satan knows your weakness. And he has a target on your back. He wants to take you down. And it's a war for your soul. This is not a surface issue in our lives. This has a profound and eternal effect in our lives. So we've been talking about these these giants in our lives as we consider the story of David and Goliath. If we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'd encourage you to do so, 1 Samuel 17, we find that David was just a teenager whenever he walks up to the the battle lines, the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other side, a valley in between, neither one of these Armies wanted to go down into the valley because they would give up high ground. So you've got the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other side. David is just a teenager, just a young boy. When he walks into this this battle, bringing supplies, bringing food to his brothers, he had no military experience. He was not a part of either army. But he walks up to the the battle lines of the Israelites to take these supplies, this food, to his brothers. And for the very first time, David hears the taunt of Goliath, this giant Philistine from Gath. And David, hearing these words, something begins to stir inside of him, right? He begins to wonder, who is this man, that this, this uncircumcised Philistine he calls himself, or he calls Goliath. Uncircumcised, meaning that Goliath has no part in the covenant. He has no promise given from God as the Israelites do. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's saying he's not a part of God's plan. He's not a part of God's purpose. He's not called by God. And he's a Philistine. He's not only not called by God, he's one of God's enemies. He says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine over here that he would call us out? That he would call God out? That he would defy the living God? And then he asks this question. He says, who's going to take him down? Who's going to take that giant down? David begins to talk among some of the the higher-ups in the military there, right? But there's one man, his name is spoken, Eliab. He's David's oldest brother. He does not take too kindly to David's inquiry. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. 
When David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. He's angry. Process that for a minute. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep? You hear the insult there? What about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Eliab, David's oldest brother. Innocently enough, David's asking, who's going to take that giant down? Who's going to defend our army? I think that's a good question. I think it's innocent enough. But just from that question, Eliab, David's oldest brother, gets angry with him. He tries to put David back in his place. Where are those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? Don't forget, David, you're a shepherd. Don't forget, David, you're not in charge up here. Don't forget, David, that you shouldn't even be fighting this battle. You should be out in the fields with the sheep. Cleaning up their messes. Shearing their coats. What happened to those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? This is just pride and deceit. You just wanted to come to see the battle. You just wanted to come as a spectator. Now get out of here, David. You have no business being here. Why is Eliab so angry? Why is Eliab so, so angry with David? Why would he try to call him out like that? Who cares if David's asking this question? It's a good question, isn't it, guys? See, but Eliab's response isn't so, so surprising if we know the rest of the story. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and you find this, beginning with verse 1. There's Israel, now a nation, called by God, but they have demanded a king, right? The first king of Israel was a man named Saul. Saul He's not doing so hot. And God says this about Saul. He says this to the prophet Samuel. He says, I have, get this, our word, rejected Saul as king of Israel. God says, I've rejected him. I've cast him out. I don't want him to be king anymore. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So he says, so Samuel, put some anointing oil in your pouch. Make your way to the small town of Bethlehem. We can remember that, can't we? Make your way to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse because one of Jesse's sons is to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel, being a prophet of God, very obedient, he takes some anointing oil, puts it in his pouch, and he makes his way there. He stopped at the gate. He says, no, I'm going in here. I'm going to make a sacrifice to the living God. And they let him in. And he asked around town, where's this man named Jesse live? Right over there. So Samuel makes his way to Jesse's home, and as he's walking up, you can picture Eliab comes walking out the door. He's tall, broad shoulders, big muscles. As soon as Samuel sees him from afar, he says, that's the man. Not only does he look like a warrior, that's the man because he looks like a king. I mean, I can even see a halo of a crown on his head. 
Samuel says, that's the man. And he speeds up his walk just a bit. He can't wait to get to Eliab and say, God has chosen you to be the next king of Israel. And God stops him. No, 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 Samuel. Not so fast. He might look like a king, but I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And God says to Samuel, now don't miss this, it's the same in the New Living Translation as it is in the New International Version, as it is in the King James Version, as it is in the Revised Standard Version. He says, I have rejected Eliab as king. Ouch. Eliab stands in line with his other brothers as Samuel the prophet sent by God to anoint the next king of Israel. Eliab watches. Not only does Samuel not pick him, he goes down the line. He goes down the line and God rejects every one of them as king of Israel. And then Samuel says, what about another son? Yeah, I have another son, Jesse says, but he's out in the field scooping up the sheep Samuel says, well, bring him in. God says, bring him in. And Eliab watches as this seed of rejection now grows into a season of rejection. And David is anointed the next king of Israel. See, and Eliab lived in that rejected mindset with that rejected heart for years. And then here comes little David bouncing up to the, to the, the front lines of the battle and says, who's going to take him down? What will I get if I take him down? And Eliab says, shut up, David. You have no business being here. Get out of there. Go back to your sheep. See, Eliab is rejected. Now, don't miss this. I said God rejected Eliab as king, right? Anytime someone else is chosen for something and you're not, you're rejected. If we were to make a list of things that God has rejected us for on one side and the things that God has chosen us for, that list of rejection far outweighs the thing God has chosen us for. Are you with me? So maybe God has rejected you in an area, but He has equipped you and only you to achieve His plan, His purpose in this life. I wholeheartedly believe that. So Eliab watches, not only David is anointed as king, now he watches as David comes up jubilantly, excited about, I'm going to defeat this giant. I can do it. God's told me I can do it. Go back to your sheep, David. Eliab is rejected. And let me say this, rejected people reject people. Are you with me? None of us like to feel like we're not good enough. That we aren't good enough. That's horrible grammar. None of us, not one of us, like to feel like we aren't good enough. Like we aren't smart enough. Like we aren't wanted enough. A word of rejection, that seed is planted, even something very, very small that's not intended to destroy us can often hurt and sting, take root and wreak havoc for years and years 
to come. Before long, we forget that God has created us with a purpose and God has created us with a plan. Let me say this again. You have not been created to fulfill someone else's purpose. You have not been called to fulfill someone else's plan in this life. Defeating that giant of rejection. Experiencing victory over Him. It comes from seeing yourself the same way your heavenly Father sees you. As someone who is dearly loved, His child He calls you. Someone who is created in His image. Someone who is set to fulfill His purpose and His plan. And so I want to tell you this, and if you, you don't get anything out of this message, get this. We must learn to live from God's acceptance and not for the acceptance of others. We must, if we can simply learn to live from God's acceptance instead of for the acceptance of others, it will transform our lives. And we will tap into the, the, the distinct purpose and plan that God has for us. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3, it says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Get that? You are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. You are holy and without fault. Listen to those words. I know I've said it before, but tell somebody this next week, I am holy and without fault. Watch their eyes pop open. I am holy and without fault. Say that to your spouse this week. Try that. Oh yeah, I will. She's not in here right now, I will. Praise the Lord. Even before He made the world, God loved us. God chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do. And it, and it gave Him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. Listen to this. God did not choose you. God has not accepted you because of anything you have done. Jesus did not give up heavenly glory and sacrifice His human life on a cross, His earthly life on a cross because of anything you have achieved. Amen? He did it all because He loves you. That's it. So when we begin to compare ourselves with others, when we give an ear to this giant of rejection in our life that says you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you need to be out with the dirty, nasty, dumb sheep, not here, it begins to chip away at us. We take our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to focus on that. Well, how can I change people's mind? How can I work so I can be better? But if we can remember that God loves us because He loves us. That's it. 
It's so simple, and I think sometimes too simple. Imagine Jesus whispering in your ear today, I love you. I really, really love you. I'm pleased with you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. That's why I have created you. That's why you're still alive today. Not to please someone else, not to get accolades from someone over here, but instead to live for my purpose and my plan just because I love you and I am crazy about you. It might sound crazy to think that the the God of the universe, the one that spoke life into existence, is personally aware of you. He thinks about you every moment of every day. That's what makes him God. The God of this universe, Psalm 84, tell, or eight, chapter 8, tells us that God is mindful of us. That he has planned, he has purposed, and he has pursued our life in him. Before you were even created, before you were even conceived, God said, I chose you as my own. Those words alone, that that statement alone and, and premise there should be enough to cultivate this sense of acceptance within us. Your worth is not wrapped up in what you achieve, but is forever anchored in what Jesus has done for you. Let me say that again. Your worth is not wrapped up in what you have achieved, but is forever anchored in what Jesus has done for you. You were created, you were accepted, you are embraced by your heavenly Father because he has purposed, planned, and pursued your life in him. And so maybe today, you came in here not realizing that you're fighting this giant of rejection. Maybe this giant of rejection is just now starting to challenge you. Maybe this next week, you're going to walk into a situation, a conversation, where he begins to rumble. If we can just simply remember that God has created you just the way you are, if we can simply remember that Jesus chose you and loves you just as you are, it will fend off forever, give you victory over this giant of rejection that rears his ugly head in your life. And when you don't feel like you're good enough, like you have not done enough, when people even come against you and say, I don't like you, and I don't like what you do. I'm okay with that. God lo- still loves me. So long as I am following His Word, His plan, and His purpose for my life, I can look that person in the face and say, it doesn't matter. I am holy and without fault. And I am dearly loved by God. Amen? See, I think that the, the, the problem so often in our life, the problem so often in the, in the lives of Christians, the problem that we are now dealing with in the church, 
is a problem of obedience. Are you with me? You think I just jumped, didn't you? Don't you? That's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I think the, the, the problem that we have and the reason so often we cannot accept ourselves, the reason we give validation to what other people are saying about us is because we're not walking in obedience with God and so we cannot hear His voice we cannot hear Him calling out to us day after day, moment after moment, I love you and I've chosen you. Because we're not close to Him at all. We come together as a church and we listen to some, some Scripture. Every now and then, pastor brings in a guest preacher and you hear a good sermon and you say, that's it, right? See, but the Christian life, our life, the church's call is to be so much more than this. I'm not hearing amens, and that's okay. My prayer, my prayer, friends, is that we defeat not only this giant of rejection that, that, that Iliab came up against, this giant of rejection that rears his ugly head and we hear his negative voice day after day. My prayer is not only that we defeat him, but that we defeat every giant that presents itself in our life. And the only way we can do that is if we pursue Jesus first. The only way we can do that is if we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit that so many people in the church have never experienced. So many in the church reject. I'm not getting amens anymore. But that's okay. Because my validation doesn't depend on your amen. I heard a preacher say this last week, I'm going to be blessed even if you're not. Amen? So I'm okay with that. I don't even know where I'm at. Learn to live, I'm just going to say this again, learn to live from God's acceptance, not for the acceptance of others. And as you realize that that, that profound truth, as we tap into Jesus and His power and His Holy Spirit for us, that, by the way, the Holy Spirit is the only power that we have. The Holy Spirit is the only reason the church has any success today. The Holy Spirit is the only reason that the church still exists today. So it's time we stop rejecting the Holy Spirit as if He's some far-off it, and we start embracing Him daily, pleading to Him for revival, calling out to Him, saying we are desperate because we, I cannot do it alone. We, as a church, cannot do it without the power any longer. But if we could just simply learn to live from God's acceptance instead of for the acceptance of others, it would transform our life. And we would be victorious in every area that God calls us to be victorious. Every area that God has equipped us to be victorious in. And maybe God's going to reject you. You okay with that? Maybe God's going to reject you. God has not called me to do millions of things. But he's called me to do one very good thing. And so I'm going to focus on that. And I'm going to invite you to focus on whatever that area of your life is as well. But the only way you're going to know is if you tap into the power of His Holy Spirit. Father God, I, I pray today for your church.
we're hurting. Sometimes we're broken. Sometimes, Lord, we're confused. But God, my prayer today is that you would speak. Speak where I cannot. Father God, I pray today that you would move once again through this place right now. Let your Holy Spirit, Lord, flow among us freely. Jesus. Let us, Lord, respond in a manner that is worthy of your call to us. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks, we give you praise for your message, your promise. And so together in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As we, say the, as we sing this next song, my invitation to you is to consider the profound words of this old hymn and to invite Jesus to do a new work in you as we sing.